Good morning, everyone. Really great to have you here this morning. My name's Colin, and um, this is the third kind of week of three where we've been talking specifically about this, uh, this character, Elijah, that we meet in the Old Testament of the Bible, who we're calling the anti-hero, just because he's so much like us in so many ways. He's deeply flawed, yet God wants to do amazing things to him, and that's that's like the same for every single one of us. And Elijah is followed immediately in Scripture by a discussion about his protege, who was Elisha. Everybody say Elijah. Everybody say Elisha. Okay, these are two different people. Okay, we're going to have to make that real clear today, because today's kind of the transition day between when we're talking about Elijah and we're talking about Elisha. In fact, uh, this has been three weeks we've been talking about Elijah, and, uh, and then we're going to sort of talk about a, a, a situation that uh, involves both of them today. And then over the next four weeks after that, over the next four weeks, we're going to be talking about his protege, Elisha, okay, who is somebody that did more miracles in Scripture um, other, except, for, except for Jesus, than anybody else except for Jesus. So an incredible character in the Old Testament of the Bible. Last week we talked about, uh, well, a couple of weeks ago we talked about Elijah and the God of miracles. We talked about him defeating the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel and calling down fire from heaven. Uh, last week we talked about Elijah in one of his darkest moments where he just wants to take his own life and the presence of God in that situation in Elijah's life. Um, and in today's uh, message, there's a significant moment in his life that is, uh, the part of it is the passing of the baton, the, the sort of the handoff to, to young Elisha. And so I'm going to read this passage from 1 Kings 19, 15 to 16. The Lord said to him, go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel Maholah to succeed you as prophet. I think I did pretty good with those names, right? Okay. So, so what happens? Like Elijah is being called by God to set up some kings to 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 uh, let these these individuals know that they are God's chosen person for a particular region, that to, to be a king of that region, and then uh, uh, to set up Elisha as a prophet. Now, think about this, that Elijah has spent many years being God's prophet. Back in the Old Testament times, the Holy Spirit would fall on individuals in a unique way, very, very different to what we experience now, where, where the Holy Spirit came on the church on the day of Pentecost, and the Bible says that the Holy Spirit is available for individual mouthpieces from God that would have this privilege and this responsibility of having the Holy Spirit on them in a unique way. And so think about this, that Elijah is being told by God, we're going to pass that on to someone else now. Think about if that was you at work, and someone comes to you at work and says, hey, you know this job you've been doing? Yeah, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to give that to someone else now, and we'd like you to train, your, we'd like you to go hire your replacement, go uh, you know, take care of the HR, put them in place, and then we'd like you to bow out because that's the end of you here. Uh, that's the situation that Elijah's facing. He's facing the end of his, his responsibility, deep calling from God to do this task of be, to be God's mouthpiece and God's prophet. And he's got to pass it on to Elisha. And so, I mean, I wonder how that would, that, would, that would feel if that was us. And we could try and put ourselves in Elijah's place a little bit. And he's thinking, well, wait a minute. Didn't we just do, we just did all this incredible stuff with calling fire down from heaven. And I know a little bit later, I just wanted to kill myself. But other, like, let's not 
see all that part. Let's, let's just point to the good stuff. And he's probably wondering, why are we passing this on? But being faithful, moving forward, and doing what God calls him to do, he's taking this responsibility and he's going to anoint Elisha as the new prophet. So in 1 Kings chapter 19, 19, 20, it says, So Elijah went from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat. He was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the 12th pair. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. That's an interesting point. We're going to come back to that in a minute. Elijah then, Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said. Then I will come with you. All right, incredible. Now, you see that bit about the cloak. There's that line. On the, I don't know if we can go back to that verse there, there Micah, that just said uh, um, uh, Elijah went up to him and he threw uh, where is it? Uh, is it there? Am I blind? He, there at the bottom. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. Now, this is kind of an interesting um, part of Scripture and part of sort of history you have to understand here. Um, he wasn't giving the guy a new jacket or anything. It wasn't because he thought he might be cold or chilly. He's not his, he's not his mom and thinking that Elisha might be cold and just needs a new coat. He's sending a significant message because the cloak that Elijah was wearing was representative of God's presence on him. It was, his, it was, it was a, a symbolic thing that, that made it clear that this was God's prophet. It was made of animal skin, and uh, um, it was a, a sign of, the, of God's anointing, of God's touch on Elijah and the Holy Spirit's presence on someone. So in throwing his cloak over Elisha, Elisha's all of a sudden realizing, wait, you're... you're putting on me the, the responsibility of God's prophet? I'm, I'm just a regular guy, and here I am being told that all of a sudden I've got a specific responsibility. And this cloak seemed to have a significant representation of God's presence being uh, on Elijah's life being passed onto Elisha, passing on what God had put into him. So, in fact, uh, in uh, 1 Kings 19, 12, you know, when you go back to that, uh, story about the you know uh, Elijah seeing the, there being an earthquake. Elijah seeing an earthquake and God wasn't in the earthquake. And then there being a storm and God wasn't in the storm. And then there being a fire that just fell from heaven and God wasn't in the fire from heaven. But then First uh, 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 Kings nineteen twelve it says, and then after the fire came a gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face, and he went out and stood at the mouth of, mouth of the cave. And then the still small voice comes to him and says, what are you doing here, Elijah? And there seems to be this presence of this cloak, this symbol of God's presence, which Elijah is then passing on and throwing on Elisha. So here's what we're going to do. Next week, we're going to talk about the second character in this story, and we're going to begin to talk about Elisha over the next few weeks. But there's two characters in this story, right? There's Elijah and Elisha. Remember that? Somebody said to me today, if, if all I can learn is the difference between Elijah and Elisha, I'll feel like it was worth coming to church. So hopefully we're starting to move in that direction this morning. Um, so in these next few weeks, we're going to talk about Elisha and, and his part of this same story. But today, I want to ask just this one question. I want to talk about Elijah's life a little bit, but also focus on one thought, one thought from, from this, uh, a, a principle from this story. What does it look like for you and I to pass on what God has put in us to someone coming after us? 
What would it look like for if, if, we could, if we could learn what that was like to take everything that God implanted and invested in us and find ways to pass it on to those around us, coming after us, to the next generation? Now, some of you want to bow out right here. You're like, I just came to, to learn some stuff. I don't want to have to go out and have to do anything with it. This is starting to get hard work already. But what could it mean to draw someone or some individuals alongside you who is a step further away from God than you are? And you could have an impact on their lives. Every single one of us could take what God has put in us and find some ways to invest it in those around us. Whether we've been followers of Jesus for five minutes or for five or 50 years, there's something within us. And it's a tragedy when we don't find ways to, to, to move that on. You know, I heard one, I heard one uh, uh, pastor say that the, the Christianity is only one generation away from being extinct. And I don't know if it's even true or not, but think about this. The way that we decide we are going to pass our faith in God onto the next generation will shape how the next generation trusts and honors God. We have a huge responsibility for for those of us who follow Jesus. Even uh, Paul, who was one of the apostles of Jesus, one of the early church planters, said to a church that he planted in the city of Corinth in Greece, he wrote to them later and he said, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. He's basically saying, listen, if you want to know how to follow Jesus, look at me. Could you say that when you go into work? If you want to know how to follow Jesus, look at me. Could you say that to your neighbors? Well, if you want to find out what it's like to follow Jesus, follow me. Follow my example as I follow Christ. He's a living, breathing, walking example of what it means to follow Jesus Christ on the earth. And he's not ashamed of it. He's willing to say to everybody around him, don't just follow Jesus. Follow me as I follow Jesus. In fact, he said it it in another way to another church in, in, uh, uh, in Greece, a church in Thessalonica. He wrote to them later. And he said, it's incredible that you guys have caught it. He basically said, you have become a model for the believers in other churches. This is exactly the message that Paul was trying to get across to followers of Christ. He's trying to say, listen, become a model for people who will come after you. Become the kind of uh, uh, follower of Jesus that people can say, well, I can, I can dig that because that looks like something I can do. That's, that's Christ with flesh on it. That's, that's, that's Christ right here. That's an example of Jesus that I can follow because, because they so look like Jesus. Now, this morning, I want to give us some ways that I think we can move forward in passing on what God has invested in us to those around us. But before I do, I just want to pause for a moment to to tell you a couple of things. Firstly, uh, uh, we always take a moment to receive an offering on a Sunday morning at Anthem, and we do that through a box at the back, the generosity box, which is at the back of the room. I, I feel like we need to get a bigger box with neon lights around it or something like that so everyone can see it, but it's there, and we always make it clear that it's there because we are solely sustained by those who call this church home and who are committed on a regular basis to uh, honoring God through their finances in that way. And so that's one way to give. And then, of course, another way to is online uh, through the website at anthemchurch.life slash give, or you can do that through our uh, church app. So thanks to those of you who are faithful and who are committed on a regular basis to giving. We truly appreciate your commitment to what God is doing in this place. Um, and the other thing I want to mention, and this is something that I just, I want to come out and, and talk to every single person here about this, and that is that on November 15th, we are hosting a baptism service. Um, baptism is, the, is, is literally the next step for anybody that has decided they want to follow Jesus. And it's the next step in your, in your walk with God to, to obey Jesus in baptism. 
Uh, if you have any questions about that, I'd love to chat with you about it. Or if you look at our uh, YouTube page, uh, YouTube, um, and then it's Anthem Church Life. Um, you should be able to find us there. Uh, we have a message on October 14th from just a, a few weeks ago, which is all about baptism, what we believe it means. So we're going to be hosting a baptism service on November 15th at Heritage Park Baptist Church, which is uh, here in Burlington, just on Lexington Street. And so we'd love for you to consider that. And if you haven't been baptized yet, I just want to challenge you, is that what God's calling for you uh, next in your life? And maybe you're just feeling like, oh, I just need to take a next step in following Jesus. I want to just encourage you that if you haven't been baptized, baptism is the next step. And there's already uh, a few people that have signed up for baptism. And so we're excited about that. And I'd love to chat with you about that or add your, your name to their list. So I want to encourage us as we uh, discover how we can pass what God has invested in us into the next generation, into those around us. One of the things we've got to do is we have to be willing to, to bring people alongside us that we have to allow people to come alongside us and come into our lives. You see, the passing of, of, uh, from one prophet to another was like a lifestyle choice for, for Elijah. He was, he was, he's anointing kings. He's anointing uh, a prophet. There's this pattern in his life of just wanting to pass on what God has told him to pass on. Some of you may rem remember the history of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was a, uh, a German in, uh, in World War II, uh, of course, an anti-Nazi guy that um, uh, was a, a follower of Christ. He was a, a preacher and a theologian, and he did all he could to, uh, um, to, to lead the church during that time of Nazi operation, of, uh, occupation. And in a, one of his one, one biography of his, of his life, one of his disciples, one of the people that followed him, is quoted about talking about the experience of being around Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He said this, whatever he had and whatever he was, he made it accessible to others. The great treasure he possessed was the cultivated, elegant, highly educated home of his parents, to which he introduced us. The open evenings... And his house was open for, they say his house was open for disciples and family to come in and to eat and to play music together and to sing and to discuss and laugh and tell stories on Friday nights. The open evenings which took place every week had such an atmosphere that they became a piece of home for us as well. Are we willing to open up our lives, willing to open up our homes so other people can see how we follow Jesus Christ? And in his biography, Eric Metaxas wrote this, even when Bonhoeffer went to London in 1944, his parents continued to treat those students like family, including them in the larger circle of their society and home. Bonhoeffer did not separate his Christian life from his family life. His parents were exposed to the bright students of God, and his students were exposed to the extraordinary Bonhoeffer family. This is what access looks like. It's allowing people who, who may be one or two steps further away from God than we are, just one or two steps further away than we are, to receive invitations from us to share life, for them to share our lives with us. I remember uh, about just a few years before my mother died, uh, I was in England going through her address book, and she had one of those kind of old-fashioned paper and pen address books with uh, everything written down, and I noticed um, that there was somebody in her address book who lived literally five miles away from where I lived at the time, which was in Detroit, Michigan. And, you know, I'm visiting her back in England, and I'm just thumbing through her address book, and suddenly I see a zip code and a state that I recognize because this, this person lives just a few miles from my home in Detroit. 
And I said, who's this woman, Iris? And she said, oh, that's Iris. She, she was a, um, a, a family friend when I was growing up. I was probably 12 years old and she was 20. And, and I remember coming to her house all the time. And so I'm like, this is amazing. I'm sitting talking to my 85-year-old mother who is soon to, to die and go on to be with Jesus. And she's telling me about this woman in her 90s that lived just a few, few miles from me. So what did I do when I get back to Michigan? I got on the phone to her family, scurried over to her house in Rochester Hills, Michigan. And I just, it was incredible to sit down with a 95-year-old woman who had been mentored, who I discovered had been mentored and discipled and had her life and been poured into her life by my grandparents in the 1940s. How awesome is that? And just to be able to, you know, my grandparents had, had passed away in the early 80s and I have very few memories of them. But to sit next to somebody who's, who's she's now over 100 actually, but to sit next to somebody who's so advanced in years and hear about the impact that my grandparents had had on her life 70 or 80 years ago. And she talked to me about how on a Sunday night, we just used to go to their house and we just used to listen to your grandpa talk and we used to sing around the piano. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is awesome. This sort of circle of mentoring and, and discipleship I'm hearing about and the, the way that I, w- I viewed my parents as, you know, as a kid kind of view your grandparents sometimes as a bit out of touch and a bit beyond it. And as much as my grandparents were very spiritual people, as a child, I didn't recognize the value that, they, that their lives had. And yet here was somebody who was, um, who was just probably a few years younger than them. And as a 95-year-old saying, this person, this couple had incredible impact in my life as they, uh, as they gave me access uh, to, to uh, as, as they gave me access to their lives. One of the goals that my wife and I have, and we have since we've uh, been married, is to always have our home open, is to be able to welcome people around us, whether it's a mess, whether we cleaned up or not, whether there's dirty dishes, whether the fridge like, you know, has things walking around in there or anything like that. We just do our best to think, forget that. The important thing is, is that we give people access to our lives and allow people to, to, fo- to, to follow us as we follow Jesus. And I want to challenge all of us that we, we be those kind of people, that we allow people to follow us as we follow Jesus. You know, another sort of lens that we can view this through is through um, kind of an idea that is really from the business world. And, uh, you know, if, if this is helpful to some of you, it might be helpful in your work or in your family life or as we raise up and develop follow, followers of Jesus. And as for those of you who are involved in in some role here at the church, and we hope eventually that's all of you, um, that it's a way that you train and develop people around us as well. It's called, it's just a simple tool called the Leadership Square. And um, if you think of it like this, that the beginning of training or developing or mentoring anybody in a task would be in this sort of, this sort of way, the sort of, I do, you watch. That kind of an idea where, you, you, you're performing a task or you're teaching somebody how to do something, but essentially they're, they're, they're passive, they're excited, but they have no experience or skill, so they're just watching what you're doing. And then once you've sort of uh, achieved that part of the process, we're going to the next part. This part right here, this is the tough part right here, because th- at this point, it's I do and you help. Am I doing this right? Okay, so at that point, you continue to do the thing that you are doing, 
uh, but you're inviting the person who was previously watching to help you in what you're doing. Now, I've used this with my kids for many years, and uh, I'll tell you some of the greatest tasks that we've used it for in a minute. But this is the hardest part, because usually with, with new apprentices, they want to they do at this stage. They're like, oh, I've seen you do it. I want to go ahead and do it. And they jump in, and I've seen my kids do this as well when they were young, and I got them involved in, in doing some sort of household chores. And they want to just do it right away. And, and it can go badly wrong if somebody's not w- willing to watch you continue to do and, uh, and then them jump in and help a little bit. Now, some of you are already thinking, well, I could use this at work because I'm training people, and, and hopefully we you know, talk about some things here that are useful for us in our day-to-day lives. Then there's this next... This next phrase here, we start to see the square come together. At this point, it's, it's you do. So you're passing the responsibility. You're passing the mantle of, of, of uh, responsibility onto the person that you're training. And I help. And at that point, you're passing something on. And you're starting to take a step back. And take a step back to the, uh, uh, of, of the responsibility. I, I'm hugely grateful to my buddy Shane at the back here who's running sound today. Shane, give everybody a wave. Shane, there you go. He stood up and waved. Shane's been doing a phenomenal job this morning running sound. Um, but, like, he only learned how to do this five months ago. Something like that. Is that about right? Six months ago? About like that? Yeah, so we, we started, uh, uh, Brandon, who's not here today, started teaching Shane how to run, run sound and involving him in that ministry back there. And, um, early on, um, I, I, I would sort of be, you know, usually he would be doing it while, while Brandon's not, not here. And so I might be just kind of helping and, 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 and sort of throwing some, some tips in here because we're already sort of at this stage where, I'm, where he's at the board. He's at the, the control desk, and it looks like you're ruling the world from all the flashing lights back there. It's amazing. Um, but, but really what's happening now is that uh, our team and myself uh, are at this sort of, sorry, uh, you... Oops, nope, uh, that should be a, a you, yeah, uh, right. You do, I, I watch. Essentially, Shane was running sound this morning and during rehearsal, I was just watching. I just had a couple of little tips here, but, that's, but there was no like, sense of me running it or anything like that. Now, what I've, what I've done a bunch of times with my kids when it comes to chores around the house is that we kind of use this process, and now they call this a bit of a joke. They're like, oh, we're going to do the leadership square again. You know, because if you want kids to learn how to do laundry... You don't have to wait too long. Parents, like, you don't have to wait too long to teach your kids how to do their own laundry. But you have to do it through the leadership square. Because if you do this thing where you do and they watch, and right here, they, like, they want to do it right away. Well, I mean, they don't want to do it, but you're telling them they've got to do it, right? They're going to they're gonna do it, and they're going to be putting, like, dryer sheets in the washing machine and detergent in the dryer. And, you know, everything's all just leaving the washing in there for three days and not transferring it. So we started to use this process where we do, they watch, but we do, and they help. We, uh, they do, and we help, and, and still you're, you're doing some training there until eventually they do their own laundry, and we watch. Every now and then we might be like, hey, pull your laundry out there. It's been there for a week, you know, or just give a little bit of direction. But we've moved on to that point where, where we were doing their laundry at all. It's, their, it's up to them. So my thought is that, like, if you have, haven't had children yet, you're going to have children Get past the whole thing of like first steps, first words, 
you know, and then go, okay, let's do the leadership square for your laundry. Because you can, you can teach it to kids at an early age. Or, or, but, as, but anything that we communicate to people around us who we wanted to train or develop, this is one of the greatest tools or the greatest ways to develop people around us. And the important part about it is that, that during this section, you're giving, you're giving clear direction. In this section, you're giving just coaching. You're coming alongside. This is more collaboration. And right here, this is empowering somebody, empowering somebody to do what it was that you wanted to encourage them to do in the first place. This, this week, somebody asked me, like, where do I start with reading the Bible? And so it's not just for me to, like, throw them a Bible and just say, off, off you go. Like, we had the first conversation, uh, uh, the, the, the very first conversation about how this person would, would, would get somewhere in reading the Bible. But it would be a failing on my part if I didn't think to go back and go, well, well wait, did you find where Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are? Did you, did you remember not to start at the beginning? Did you, to actually follow up and to see where this person is going in their decision to try and learn to read the Bible. And the important part about that, I always think about this as well, is after each section, you talk about it. If you're, if you're moving somebody through a, a simple task, moving somebody through a simple uh, experience, that after each section, I do and you help. And then we talk about it. You do, I help, and then we talk about it. You do, and I watch, and we talk about it. And then we talk about it right here. It could be like, this is awesome. You know how to do this now. This is great. You're on your own. Go do it, and go teach other people how to do it. You know, I want us to think about how you and I would look for our role, for what my role would be in training and mentoring and discipling the next generation. And when you think about the next generation, maybe just be thinking about who is younger than me or even younger than me in their understanding of who God is and their relationship with Him, that I can pass on what God has done in my life. And I think for those of you who are parents, you know that this, this makes total sense for your kids. But I want to challenge parents and non-parents as well, that, that it needs to go beyond the, the, the natural situations of family. It has to go beyond those who are just under my care and I'm, I'm actually physically responsible for. But who could I develop in what God has put into me? One other little illustration I wanted to give us from, from 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. And uh, this, this verse is talking about, this, this, is, this is Paul, the apostle of Christ, talking to Timothy, a younger apostle of Christ and another church planter. And Micah, throw, throw that verse up there, 2 Timothy chapter 2, if you have it. Do we have, okay, so you've got Paul talking here, and he says, and the things you have heard from me, the, the things you have heard me say, don't worry, it's just a stage he's going through. <laughs> I've always wanted to do that joke. <laughs> you like that? Um, uh, the, the things you have heard me say, this is Paul speaking to Timothy, the things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. What does that mean? Let's read it one more time. Let's read this out together, out loud, on the count of three. Okay, one, two, three. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. What does that mean? Paul's got his protege, Timothy, who's now leading a church of his own. And he's saying, hey, Timothy, Here's how this whole thing is going to move from generation to generation to generation to generation. Let's keep this up there for a minute, Micah. Here's how it's going to work. The things you've heard me, Paul, say to you, 
Timothy, find reliable men that you can impart this to who will then be able to teach others. You catch that? The things you've heard me, Paul, say to you, Timothy, go out and find reliable men who can then teach others. So what have we got? We've got these four generations of development being trained to us in one verse. In one verse, Paul is teaching us how we take the the gospel, take the good news of Jesus, take the the spiritual habits, the disciplines that, that we've been learning, and to pass them on to those who God has put around us and to invest our lives in those who come after us. God's plan is for us to be in constant and repetitive state of passing everything that he has invested in us to others. So that after a period of time, we can look back and we realize, hey, I passed this on to this person. And then I I think they passed it on to, to that person. And I don't even know who's over here because this person lives in a different state, something like this. But if we we make this a practice of developing those around us and training those around us in the ways of God and everything He has put in us, we will find that one day there will be people along that downline. It's like a network marketing thing. Along that downline of people whose lives are being impacted by the lives of people that were impacted by the lives of people who you and I invested in. I believe that that is the way that God wants His kingdom to multiply around the globe. That we plan on people not just succeeding us, but exceeding us. Jesus said, you will do greater things than you have seen me do because I am going to the Father. His plan was not just for us to succeed Him, but to exceed Him, to do greater things than we have done. And I hope that in every way that we train, that we develop, that we coach, that we come alongside people, that we bring younger people around us or people who are younger in their relationship with the Lord, that our goal is, I hope that you'll, you'll do greater exploits for God than I will ever do. That I will be able to pass on and impart to you greater things than I could ever experience myself because God wants His kingdom to keep going like that. I just want to close with this one thought. Sometimes it's easier for you to, uh, as people sitting in a chair and me standing up here to think, well, that's easy for you because you're the one that gets to teach and you're talking about passing things on. Honestly, I think the, um, you know, I'm kind of an extrovert and I, I'll talk to a ton of people whether I was, you know, teaching publicly or not. But sometimes I think introverts have got a bit of an edge because in a lot of cases they may prefer a smaller company of friends or people around them than me who's kind of like a social butterfly and just have have lots of sometimes shallow relationships. Author Ron Lee Davis said this, he said, more time spent with fewer people equals greater lasting impact for the kingdom of God. More time spent with fewer people, as in not speaking to large groups, more time spent with fewer people equals greater lasting impact for the kingdom of God. If you decide you, you, you end up being somebody that can lead a group of 
of two other men. You're a man that, lead, that can lead two other men or, or women that can lead three other women. I think we have a women's group that's starting tonight. Um, and so find out information from Ashley at the back there if you're interested in that. But if, if, we can, uh, uh, if, if we can think about how might I allow my life to impact just one or two or three or four people around us, together we can change the world that God has put us on and make a long-lasting impact for the kingdom of God. Let's stand and pray together before we worship this morning. Lord, this morning we are, we are very aware that it is our responsibility and our calling and our privilege to take the cloak of anointing that you have put on us and pass it on, to throw it on to those who you've put around us. Father, to, we, we, we know that you've called us to awaken everyone around us to the life God has for us. And I pray that we might be uh, inspired to do so and called to do so at a deeper level today to pass on all that you have put in our lives to those who you have called around us. We pray these things in Jesus' name.